Well, it is good to be with you today. I want to welcome you, whether you are seated in one of the campuses today or at one of the mission sites or wherever you may be traveling, even folks that uh, join us from other places in the world, we are grateful that you would choose to make this a part of the time that you would spend with us. I'm excited to share with you today and excited about what God might do in our hearts. Over the last several years, in all that we have experienced, I think the aspect of our society that breaks my heart the most is the lack of trust. I do. And all that we've experienced, I I think what breaks my heart the most is the lack of trust. There are just so many people that do not know who to trust anymore, and therefore, I'm watching a lot of people trust no one. A part of our study this week, as we are journeying through the book of Acts, we're in chapter 18, and a part of that chapter records a visit of Paul to the city called Corinth. Now, we have two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, which are also a part of our Bible. And when we read those letters, we find a clear truth that Paul repeats. Let me show you. 1st Corinthians chapter 1, God is faithful. You believe that? God is faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, God is faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God is faithful. You think Paul's got a point? You think there's something that, that he believes? One of the attributes of God is his faithfulness. And when we say that God is faithful, what that means is he is totally trustworthy. You can trust him in everything. That's what it means. He he is totally trustworthy in every promise that he makes. He, He is totally trustworthy in that God doesn't lie ever. He's totally trustworthy that when we come to him, he forgives us. Totally trustworthy that he will never abandon us. And we can go on and on and on. The total trustworthiness of God. Paul knows this to be true. And what I want to show you today is a part of that is because he experienced it when he was in Corinth. Now, why was Paul in Corinth? Because he's on a mission. He's on the mission with God. And so I want to make sure that you know today, we've been talking about this for several weeks now. It is absolutely clear from the book of Acts, our God is doing extraordinary things in the world around us all the time. 
And he has invited you to join him on that mission, a mission of seeking and saving the lost. Now, I want you to be careful in what I'm about to say to you. I'm not saying that God only loves you when you love him. Uh Uh-uh. Because the Bible says that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. Let's make it clear. He loves first. But what I am saying today is that God is God and we're not. Therefore, this life is about his mission, not ours. Therefore, the more you are on mission with God, the more you are going to recognize his faithfulness. I'm not saying he's not faithful to you. I'm just saying the more you're in step with the mission that he's called you to, the more you're going to recognize this incredible truth that God is faithful. My prayer today is that for those of you who are on mission with God, that today your heart will be greatly encouraged. And my prayer today is that those of you who are not currently on mission with God, that you will begin to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul learned this truth about God. Today, we can learn it too. Here's the first aspect that I see of God's faithfulness when we read this story. God is faithful in providing a team for the mission. God is faithful in providing a team for the mission. Listen to what I'm telling you. God's design for life on mission with him is always bigger than you. Even the apostle Paul needed a team. Let me show you what this looks like. Let's start to read Acts chapter 18. Let's start with verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, all right? Let's pause there for a second. Just want to give you the the context of what's happening here. In that day, Athens would have been what we would call the, the center of intellect in the Roman world. Corinth would have been referred to as the center of sensuality in the Roman Empire. So in these two cities, we've got pride and lust. And man, I I would say in that little picture, I'm not sure there are two greater threats to the hearts of people and therefore the lives of people in terms of enslaving people in sin. Corinth at one time had a temple to the goddess of sex, Aphrodite, And the story is that there was a period of time where every evening a thousand of the priestesses of that temple would come down into the city, infiltrate the streets of of Corinth, and, and let's just say they would ply their trade. That was Corinth. Now, I am not convinced when I study history that that exact event is still happening when Paul arrives. Like, I I think that was before his time. But the point is, it's a part of Corinth's history. And when you read 1 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, you know what Paul's dealing with? Sexual sin. What's right? What's wrong? I'm saying this is a part of the history of this place. The Apostle Paul knows what he's walking into. He just doesn't yet know who's walking with him. There. He met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. That just sounds like a great team, right? Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. Because, here's why they're there, Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. God always has people to help you do what he's called you to do. Now, it may take you a little while to see the picture of what God has orchestrated, but God always has people to help you do what he calls you to do. Sometimes God tells you to do something and we have a tendency to go, I don't, I don't think I can handle all that. He knows that. Typically, there is a team that God puts in place. People in right places at right times. In this particular case, God uses an anti-Semitic edict from the Roman emperor to move this couple from where they were to where they needed to be, and suddenly they get to join the team of the Apostle Paul. That's pretty cool. And so I don't know if it were us, if it were me, I shouldn't put you in that. I, I might be whining like, God, why are you kicking me out? God, why are you letting this happen? And the next thing you know, you get to be on Paul's team. They just happen to have the same trade as Paul. Coincidence? No, it's a God who is orchestrating exactly what needs to be in place. Now, here's the question. Are Aquila and Priscilla already believers? I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know. It kind of sounds like they might be, but could it have been that once they got together, the Apostle Paul was the one that that actually led them to know Jesus? I, I don't know which way that goes. That's one of those questions when we get to heaven. It's like, how did this work out? We just know that they do. This couple, Aquila and Priscilla, may, they may be, in my opinion, the most beautiful example in Scripture of the power of a married couple on mission together. They may be the most powerful picture. They will eventually accompany Paul on missionary journeys. They will be the couple who, who, who disciple Apollos that you read in the rest of this chapter. He, he's, he is one bad dude now. He, he is powerful. He is, they say his speaking is so far even above what Paul does in terms of, of his eloquence, and, but they, they disciple him. Paul will eventually say that this couple, they risk their lives for him and the mission that they have been called to. I want to offer an invitation in light of this text today. It is an invitation that we are looking for a team willing to join God 
in making the marriages of heart of life stronger. I am issuing an invitation knowing that, that God's design is that when a couple, when a couple, when they get on mission together, that there is a strengthening aspect that happens to that, I want to offer an invitation to say, we want a team, a team of people who will help us put some strategy into place, do some planning in place, do a whole lot of praying in place, that in 2022, that's crazy that we're about there, right? In 2022, we will be more intentional about fighting for the marriages of heart of life than we ever have before. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are never married long enough to just think you are exempt from struggle. You are never married healthy long enough that you can just check out on battling forward for your marriage. Man, I'm looking for a team. So November the 3rd, it's a couple of weeks away. It's a Saturday. November the 3rd at the vault, 10 o'clock, probably about an hour. At the most, we'll be done by noon. But I'm inviting you that if that's the kind of heart that God has given you, this is the kind of passion that he's given you, that you want to see marriages strengthen, I invite you to meet us there November 3rd, 10 o'clock, because we're going to do some, some praying and some planning and some strategy that truly this next year, we will fight for one another's marriages better than we ever have before. If that's you, we need you. And the more, the better. God's design is for ministry, for mission to be as a team. For Paul, sometimes it was Silas. Sometimes it was Timothy. Sometimes it was Barnabas. Sometimes it was John Mark. Sometimes it was Luke. Sometimes it was Aquila and Priscilla. But God formed a team for him. Don't do ministry alone. You don't have to. If God is leading you toward a particular type of ministry, you can bet he is speaking to others to be a part of that team. A fun thing for me recently, I had three different conversations with three different men in Heart of Life who each were communicating to me an idea and a passion to see more men encouraged to join the mission of God. You know what I'm looking forward to? Getting them together. Because suddenly there's a team. And it sounds like God may be up to something in a unique way right now in the life of this church. Man, we, we got some ladies' ministry that, that is going on that, that I would say might be as strong as it's ever been. We got some hearts of men that God is stirring, that what happens when we get that together? We got a passion to see marriages strengthened. God right now seems to be doing those things among us. What's your part? What's your part? God is faithful. He's faithful in providing a team for the mission. But second, what we see in this story is that God is faithful in providing resources for the mission. 
Now, in Paul's story, sometimes God provides those resources by Paul being a tent maker. We've talked about this a little bit as we've studied Acts already. I, I told you about those, those, the, the skill in the area of Tarsus where he's from where they would take the, the black wool of those goats in the area and they would weave that. There were black tents that they would actually construct. Sometimes God would provide the resources through Paul's tent making. But there are other times that God provided the resources through people's generosity. Let me show you the story. Acts chapter 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, don't forget, we remember at the beginning of this, what's called the second missionary journey, Paul's trying to figure out where he's supposed to go. He tries to go into Asia Minor. Holy Spirit says no. He tries to go into Bithynia. Holy Spirit says no. He ends up at a place called Troas, and at Troas, God gives him a vision of a man from where? Macedonia, across the Aegean Sea, saying, come over here and help us. And so Paul goes to Macedonia. After Macedonia, he's going to places like Athens, and now he is in Corinth. Look at what Paul says to one of the churches that was actually formed when he was in Macedonia, the church at Philippi. Listen to what Paul says in a letter to the Philippians later. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acceptance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. He's like, Philippian church, you helped me. When I left Macedonia and began to go to places like Athens and then to Corinth, he says, you helped me. You supplied what was needed. I didn't, I didn't give you the verse visually today, but you can look it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul actually tells the Corinthian church, he says, when I was with you, you didn't know about any needs that I had, and the reason you didn't know is because those brothers who came from Macedonia, they brought the resources that I needed. So suddenly Paul could devote all of his life and all of his attention to preaching. Some of you... um, are relatively new to Heart of Life. We love that. And so every once in a while, especially when the text drives it, man, it is our opportunity to invite you to join us as a church in joining God on this mission to seek and to save the lost, and that includes in our opportunity to give. Now, again, you guys know we don't do this often. I don't talk about money very often. It's one of those places that people can take to really negative spots. But I, I also don't mind it. I, I don't mind talking about it because I don't mind asking the question, how do you think we as a church are able to meet the needs that God puts in front of us? 
How do you think that we as a church are able to be a part of resourcing the ministries that God gives us? God resources through the faithfulness of his people's generosity. And so I'm not ashamed at all to say, come on, join with us in this. Earlier in this service, we heard from our brother Kofi. I'm saying that's a man joining God on God's mission. Not only is God impacting his home country, but y'all need to know God's using him to impact the world. I thank God all the time that we get to be a part of Kofi's team. Now, it's God's team. He would declare that. But the fact that we get to be connected to what God is using him to do, well, a part of that is that God gives us the privilege to be able to help and resource in some of that. This is God's design. This is God's blessing. Yesterday, yesterday, almost 40 people from Heart of Life made the long trek to downtown Kansas City, right, to do ministry in the Argentine district, an opportunity right in our backyard. Kevin told me, he said, I'm quoting, they knocked it out of the park. Shocker. I knew that. I knew, I knew that you would. We thank God that God has allowed us to now join with that team effort of what's going on in the Argentine district. But how does, how does that happen? How, how do we meet those needs? We get to give. I often find that the main reason people do not give is not because, it's not because they think it's a bad idea. It's typically not because of pride or even selfishness. It's really not. The reason that I most encounter with people talking about generosity is fear. Because they're afraid if they let go of some of what they have, they won't have enough to make ends meet in what they need. So it's interesting to me that if you study it yourself, you study the, the, the history in God's word of when God calls his people to be generous, way back in the Old Testament, God instructed them to give because it led them to trust him. That's what he said. He said, when you let go of a portion of what I've given you, that's the whole point. It's reminding us that, wait a minute, everything I got actually comes from God. This is not my own power of, of, of gaining wealth and, and, and strength. No, this is God who blesses. And so when I let go of a portion of that, it is the constant reminder to me that it is God who supplies it all. And then when I watch him supply everything that I need, God is faithful. He's faithful. Hey, if you're afraid, I, I'm, I get you. I get it. So you know what I would encourage you? Just start with something. Seriously, just start with something. Even if it's a small amount, I encourage you to start with something that on, on a regular basis you give to help resource the beautiful opportunities that God has given us all over the place. Just start with something. 
For a lot of folks, the way they do that is just every paycheck, a portion of what they get, they, they, they give. I, I'm saying if what God is saying is true, the payoff is so much bigger than money. I dare you to try it and see if God is faithful. Now, don't hear me wrong. I am not the guy that says the more you give, the more money God's going to give you. That's not what we're saying. We're saying trust him in what he calls you to be generous with and see if he doesn't supply what you need. God is faithful. He is faithful in providing a team for the mission. He is faithful in providing resources for the mission. And our God is faithful in providing open doors for the mission. I love this part in Paul's story. Go back to Acts chapter 18, verse uh, 4. It says, every Sabbath, he, that's Paul, reasoned in the what? Synagogue. He reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. That's what the first open door that we see, Paul will march into the synagogue. Now, we've talked about this again in the book of Acts. Hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this, this whole thing has been set up by God where God's people would gather in their local towns. Well, now... Now that Jesus has come and the good news is to be proclaimed, the most obvious place to start is the open door of the synagogue where Paul can step in. They already are familiar with God. They just need to know who Jesus is as God. And so it's an open door for him to to go in and, and begin to give them the good news. And here's what we discover. As long as Paul dwells on what I would call the predictions of the Messiah, what they had always read about in the Old Testament, that, that he would be great in his glory, he would be great in his power, he would rule over the nations. Man, as long as Paul was preaching that stuff, he was getting amens everywhere, and everybody's like, yeah, Paul, you, you teach it. But when Paul begins to proclaim the cross, something happens. He describes it to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. What's he saying? Well, he's saying as long as we're saying, come on, God's going to send a Messiah and he's going to deliver us from all the powers of this world. They're like, yeah. But as soon as he starts saying, and you need a savior, a savior who gave his life for your sin, all of a sudden, pushback starts to happen they're tripping over the cross my sinfulness no don't talk to me about my sinfulness watch what happens verse 6 but when they opposed Paul and became abusive 
He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Eustace. Now, I feel a responsibility right here to give you what I'm going to call some loving father advice. If you have a son, don't name him Titius, all right? (laughs) Just don't. When he goes to school, he's going to get in fights, and it's going to be your fault, all right? (laughs) Just don't do it, all right? Eustace would be a better choice, all right, if that, if that explains the whole deal. I just felt like I needed to be some free wisdom that I pass on to you today, all right? He went next door to the house of Titius Eustace, a worshiper of God, Crispus. We got some names in this one, right? Crispus, sound, he sounds like a mascot for a breakfast cereal to me. That's what that sounds like to me. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and the entire, his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Now, this is funny to me, not just the names, but you got this dramatic picture of Paul shaking out his clothes, right? He's done. He's done with the synagogue. He he has preached to them over and over again. He has taught them over and over again. They they just are abusive to him. And Paul's dramatic. He's just dramatic, shaking out of his clothes. I am out of here. And then he walks next door. All the way to next door. And the language in the Greek literally tells us that, that the house and the synagogue shared the same wall. It was a common wall. I want to remind you today that sometimes the next open door is next door. I tried to share with my neighbor and he just told me he didn't want to hear. Well, that just means nobody, nobody wants to hear anymore, Pastor. No, nobody wants to hear the good news anymore. Nobody wants to listen. <laughs> or you should share it with your other neighbor. Because sometimes the next open door is just next door. Don't stop sharing when the door seems closed. Right? My, my coworker just doesn't ever even want to hear me refer to Jesus. Okay. But another one might, another one's heart might be open right where God wants them to be. Sometimes the next open door is just next door. I love that about Paul. And sometimes the last closed door is not really closed because what we read in this story is Crispus, who was the synagogue leader, comes to faith in Jesus and his whole household Wait a minute, I thought Paul was done with the synagogue. Well, he might have been done with the synagogue, but God wasn't done with the synagogue. It looked like the door was closed, but the door wasn't really closed. 
How cool is that? He comes to faith in Jesus, and when we read the book of Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians, we know that a bunch of Gentiles put their faith in God because Paul will describe all of these very dark, bad backgrounds of people who have come out of that darkness, and now they are in the light as they trust Jesus. But there's also one more door that's open in Corinth. Look at verse 12, an interesting part of the story. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. We'll come back and talk about that. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle this matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Now this place of judgment that's mentioned in this story Today, in the city of Corinth, it's been excavated. If you go there, you can, you can see this area. In the Greek, it's called the bima, the scale, the judgment seat. Gallio is mentioned not only in the Bible, just so you know, but in numerous places in history. And you might know him as the older brother of a philosopher named Seneca who just at this same time happens to be the guy who is, who is I guess what we would call tutoring a young man named Nero who would become the next emperor after Claudius. But what we're told about Gallio is that he was, he was a very just man. He was gracious and, and, and mild in his disposition. And here, he appears to be very impartial. The charge that is brought against Paul by these Jews is that he is, he's violating the Roman law against beginning a new religion. And the Jews jump on this because they think this is an opportunity to get the Roman government to shut Paul up. And maybe they'll lock him up. But Gallio, in effect, declares that what he's hearing in Christianity in the eyes of the Romans was officially, in a sense, a Jewish sect. That it's a part of Judaism. And since Judaism is already an established official religion within the Roman Empire at that time, what Gallio rules that day actually makes it possible for Paul to preach the good news of Jesus in all the Roman cities without any lawful right, repercussions. He's not breaking Roman law. In other words, Paul has to go through this experience of the judgment right? But in return, Gallio's ruling opens the door for Paul to preach the gospel to the whole Roman Empire. God is faithful. And how about the fact 
that God has placed you and I in a land that is at least for now still an open door to share the good news of Jesus. Sometimes it feels like, it appears as though there are a lot of Christians fighting for freedoms like to speak of Jesus that they don't use. Fighting for freedoms like to speak of Jesus that they don't use. Which leads me to the last picture of faithfulness in this story. God is faithful in providing a team for the mission. God is faithful in providing resources for the mission. God is faithful in providing open doors for the mission. And God is faithful in providing boldness for the mission. Acts chapter 18, verse 9, reads this way. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. Hmm. Nobody's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. That's crazy for the way Paul typically journeyed. Teaching them the word of God. You know what this tells me? Apparently, the Apostle Paul struggled with fear. And I just want to go, yes! Am I so grateful to hear that? Now, he wouldn't appreciate me saying that. But come on, in there, a part of us that we feel that, it's like, Paul? Paul struggled with fear? Apparently so. Why would he struggle with fear? I, I don't know. Maybe because he knows the pattern over and over again. He goes into the synagogue. He preaches the cross. He preaches the good news of Jesus. The Jews reject the message. He goes to the Gentiles. He preaches the same message. And large numbers of Gentiles put their faith in Jesus. The Jews then get ticked off because of what he's doing with the Gentiles. And the next thing you know, they either put him in prison or they beat him or they try to kill him with stones. Maybe that. He's fearful, and God steps into that situation, and God confirms his presence. Paul, I'm with you, man. <laughs> Same promise Jesus had made before he ascended to heaven. I'm with you. I'll, be, I'll always be with you. He affirms his protection. He's like, nobody's going to take you out of here. Not in Corinth. And he affirms his purpose. There are many in this city. When I read this story, y'all know I love, I love sports. And so when I'm visualizing Paul in Corinth, I, I see Paul as a quarterback. And, and, and Paul takes the snap and he takes his drop. And as he takes his drop, the, the enemy wants to press in around him. But, but God has provided this absolutely perfect offensive line. It's called being in the pocket. I don't, know if, I don't know if you're familiar with what I'm saying, but when an offensive line does its job and the defense presses forward, that offensive line will just create a pocket around that quarterback to where he can stand in the pocket and then he can still deliver the ball. And that's exactly what, it's like God's going, Paul, I got this, man. 
The part I formed the pocket for you, I want you to just keep delivering the ball because this is my favorite part of what God promises there. There are more people in the city. Now, the truth is they have not yet put their trust in Jesus. They have not yet stepped over the line of faith in him, but God is declaring they are here. They are here. Man, I want to encourage you today, and I especially want to encourage our mission sites today. I mean, there are, we, we have a number of mission sites where it is smaller groups of people that gather in different towns around us here. You guys need to know that when you're smaller, it's hard sometimes. It's hard when you're a smaller group of people that, that you feel like you can't provide, right, everything that you wish you could provide. Some Sundays, some weeks, some months are difficult. I want to encourage the mission sites today. God says, I have more in the city. You, you haven't seen them yet, right? You haven't even connected with some of them yet. But God has declared, he's like, I have them. I have them. God is making an impact in the city. Can I tell you that is really the mark for measuring if a church is doing what we're called to do? So many churches want to measure success by what is going on in the congregation. Now, I'm not opposed to great things going on in the congregation. We celebrate that. But the church ultimately measures success when things are happening in the world around them. That's what Paul describes in Corinthians when he talks about strongholds. He says these, there are these dark strongholds and we're just crashing through the strongholds. It's because that's the picture of what the church is called to be. Salt of the earth, light of the world. God is aiming at the world. And when things start happening in the communities around us, that's when we know that the church is aiming in the right direction. We're aiming where he's aiming. Nothing wrong with beautiful things happening within the congregation, but when God keeps taking pockets of darkness here and there in the community around us, that's when we know we're aiming where he's aiming. That's what's happening in Corinth. Whew. I got excited on that one. Paul stays there 18 months. And I want to just wrap this up by getting you to notice something really cool that happens at the end of this story. Acts chapter 18, verse 17, then the crowd there turned to Sosthenes. Now, this is, this is after Gallio says, Paul's free to go. Paul's not committing any, there's no, there's no crimes here, no laws broken. The crowd there turned to Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. So remember the pre-synagogue leader was Crispus, and he did what? He put his faith in Jesus. Well, that kind of disqualifies you from being the synagogue leader anymore. All right, so now we got a new synagogue leader, Sosthenes. Sosthenes has been seen as the leader in this charge against Paul. He botches this whole effect with Gallio. Gallio lets Paul go, and so you know what the people do? They're ticked off. They beat their own leader. They beat Sosthenes. 
Let me show you one of the coolest things. When you open the first letter that Paul writes to the Corinthian church later, this is what you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. What just happened? What just happened is Sosthenes stepped over the line and he has now put his trust in Jesus. He's a part of the family of God and now he's a part of Paul's team. How did that happen? How did that happen? And I'd bet the house. Somebody in the church had enough courage to step into a really messy situation of a man getting beat up. And I bet you they loved him, introduced him to Jesus, and he stepped across the line. Before I pray for you, I just want to remind you of how God has designed you to be a part of this incredible mission that he is on inviting you into. I want you to be reminded today what he does through you. Every once in a while we get into this conversation when it comes to church strategy that when it comes to church strategy, are we going to be a place that's event-driven or are we going to be a place that's relationship-driven? Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying today because I'm for events. I like events. Some, we, we plan events, right, every once in a while. Uh, in a way, we could say when we come together today, it's kind of like an event. We, we plan this. It's, it's time we come together. Um, there, there are events yesterday that happened in the Argentine district. There's, there's uh, events that happen right now with, with women's ministry and a simulcast. There's events that happen for kids during the week at the vault. Um, there, there's all kinds of events that happen all the time. Here's what I'm reminding you of. Those events are only as good as the relationships that begin and end those events. We can send out invitations after invitations after invitations to events. You know when people show up at events? When you invite them because you have a relationship with them. The number is not even close. It's when you invite them. And you know when we really see people changed out of a connection like an event where we might meet some people that we've never met before, but perhaps they'll show up at an event, you know what makes the difference? It's when relationships are built out of that event that lets you step into a life that sometimes might be messy and you love them to the place of sharing Jesus. Again, please don't hear me today saying that events are evil. They're not. I love, I love the, the events that we get to be a part of. I'm just saying we got to be careful because even this event, th this is not about how big we can make the show. It's not. That is dangerous. There's no power in it. Somebody always has a better show. <laughs> and you got to trump last week's show. 
Like whatever the show is, you got to make it better. That There's no power in making the show great. The power is that God has designed the relationships that when people connect in the lives of other people, that's when God brings about supernatural change in people's lives. That's you. That is you. Our greatest strategy is not putting on a show to impress the masses. Our greatest strategy is building relationships for the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus as people experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. God is doing extraordinary things all around us, and he has invited you to join him. Will you? He is faithful. Let's pray. God, you know my prayer for today. I pray for those who are on mission with you. God, some who've been walking this out for a long time, some for a little, but regardless, God, I'm asking today that you would encourage their hearts. God, today you would remind us of how in control you are. God, that people aren't alone. God, some of us may be feeling like today you've called us to something thinking we're alone. God, help us to remember today we're not alone. And there are people even within this body that it's likely that you have already spoken similar things to. God, I pray that teams will continue to form in heart of life as you have designed God, I pray for people who need to take a step when it comes to generosity today. God, people that, that you want to give them a trust in you. God, will you give them courage to maybe just even take a tiny step in that? God, thank you for the open doors that you have given to us. God, may we be faithful that you will give us more. And in it all, God, will you give us boldness to speak Jesus? Boldness. That even when we're afraid, we will hear your promise. And we will speak Jesus. Thank you for your word today. May you encourage your people and may you call more to follow. In that name of Jesus, I pray.